Welcome to the School of Faith podcast. This is a podcast from Awakening Church in the Silicon Valley, where we exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus Christ. We're glad you're with us. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our series called Creed Questions. We are marching through the Apostles' Creed, going line by line through our groups, and also um, through a four-week series we have just concluded in our Sunday services. The Apostles' Creed, of course, is the ancient articulation of the faith, one of the oldest articulations and summaries of the faith. And today the creed question is time-sensitive. We are in the midst of an election year and have just completed an election That is contested. That has drama around it. That has Christians asking all sorts of questions. And the creed actually has this question built in it, and it's this. Does this creed, or does confessing Christianity, change our politics? Does the creed change our politics? Does being a Christian, does saying Jesus is Lord, does saying I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, does saying I believe in the church and the power of the Holy Spirit, Do these things change our politics or change the way we view politics? This is, like I said, a question because a lot of us as Christians are trying to navigate this season that we're in. And whether you find yourself to be incredibly thrilled at the outcome of this election— if you find, or if you find yourself to be incredibly sad at the outcome of the election, or if you find yourself indifferent, I hope that this podcast help helps us answer this question of how does confessing this creed and even confessing our faith as Christians, believing Jesus is Lord, how might it change the way that we view politics? I just have three thoughts for today. Uh, three thoughts on does the creed change our politics? The first is this. The phrase Jesus is Lord, or when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, um, when we confess that, the, the idea of saying Jesus is Lord, it has political implications. Jesus is Lord has political implications. We see this in the very foundation of the church. If you read the book of Acts, uh, which is the book of the history of the church right after the four gospels, it's kind of the continuation of the story. And we realize that Jesus, many of the apostles in that story, attribute the death of Jesus to the rulers of the day, to the religious and civic rulers of the day. In fact, the creed itself, right, it says that Jesus suffered under who? Under Pontius Pilate. Not only does that root the creed in a kind of historicity of the faith, but it also shows that the execution of Jesus was carried out by politicians. It was carried out, in other words, under a political circumstance. And when we say Jesus is Lord, the early apostles also affirm that, um, well, they also get in trouble, excuse me, they get in trouble for saying Jesus is Lord. In fact, the book of Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 show Peter, um, John, and some of the other apostles and leaders in the church getting in trouble with other uh, religious courts and civic courts. And they go before various rulers. And in Acts 5.29, Peter famously says, 
you know, at the end of the day, we have to obey God and not man. And his, his implication there is, look, Jesus is our Lord. Um, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, we will submit ourselves to those leaders. But at the end of the day, if those leaders are asking us to not say Jesus is Lord, we are going to continue to say Jesus is Lord and come what may. Um, we are to be subject to political authority. Romans 13 says this clearly. We are to submit to governing authorities, except for when the government asks us to disobey God. See, when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying is he is the commander in chief. That word Lord was used many times for political figures in the first century. Um, in case you didn't know, this is kind of a, a famous, you know, pastor example, but the coins um, in the early first century would say Caesar is Lord. And so when you have these early Christian writers and um, leaders saying Jesus is Lord, many people would filter that through a political um, kind of statement, right? And so we are to receive our governing authorities um, and submit to them. But we are also to submit to them in light of what God has said for Christians to do. Now, this does not mean that when the government does something, you know, uh, shady or something we don't like or simply behaves sinfully, that doesn't mean that we are to constantly be berating um, the government and disobeying the government. That That's the government being the government. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking of Augustine who wrote The City of God. In there, he said, uh, he talks about that. This is an old uh, church father from the year th in the late 300s, early 400s. And Augustine says, There are two cities there's the city of God, there's the city of man. And when the city of man acts like the city of man, we should not be surprised. Okay, when it deals sinfully, when it's shady, those are not reasons for us to um, sound the alarm bells. Governments do that. However, we will, as Christians, protest, refuse, stand fast when the government gives us no option but to disobey. This is why the church has a long history of peaceful protesting, of demonstrations, of strikes. When we see injustice committed by government, um, when they're asking us to go along with it, we are going to say what Peter says to the rulers in Acts 5.29. We, we've got to obey God rather than man. So saying Jesus is Lord, it will have political implications. We should be active in politics. We should be considering um, politics. And as Martin Luther King famously said, right, to, to not be considered, uh, to not consider politics, to step away from politics is a political act. Okay, so we get that. So Jesus is Lord. It has political implications, and each Christian must kind of divide those as they see fit. And that leads to the second point, which is that Christian ethics, they do not fit into a two-party system. So while saying Jesus is Lord has political implications, you're going to hear people say those political implications are to be Democrats or those political implications saying Jesus is Lord means you must vote Republican or must vote Democratic. And I just want to say flatly, the Christian ethic, it does not fit into any of those two-party systems. Um, when you study what the church really stood for and has stood for over the centuries and what the Bible teaches, it is very difficult to argue that the platforms of, a two, of the two-party system we have right now in America, of the Democrats and the Republicans, it's very, very difficult to fit biblical ethics into one of those two parties.
Tim Keller wrote about this in 2018 in the New York Times, September 2018. He wrote this article that um, says, you know, how do Christians fit into a two-party system? They don't. That's the title of the op-ed in the New York Times. Um, And he actually builds this off of a scholar, Larry Hurtado, who says there's five marks of the early church. So think about the church that would be writing the creed. Five political markers of the early church. They stood for economic justice. In other words, they cared for the poor and desired the poor to be lifted up. Racial justice, number two. They were a multi-ethnic community that fought for the image of God in all people, no matter their race. Um, Third, was they were a conciliatory community, Larry Hurtado says. In other words, they lauded forgiveness. Forgiveness and grace was their primary message, meaning they did not hold people to what they did. They offered grace and mercy um, alongside justice. So they forgave. They were a reconciliation community. They were a, a, a community of forgiveness, not of charging or canceling people, as we'd say today. Fourth, they were incredibly pro-life. They were the ones who, when people would throw out their children, which was very common in the day, they'd throw them in the ditch to have them die. The Christians were the ones who would pick up the children, and they would raise them. They would adopt them. A long history of pro-life caring for young babies, young families. And fifth, uh, they had a sexual counterculture. In the early Roman centuries, as the church was getting started, it was a very... um, sexually deviant community, and the Christians were incredibly socially, uh, sexually conservative, uh, believing marriage was between a man and a woman, uh, identifying the importance of the distinctions of genders. So outlining these, what uh, Larry Hurtado says, and, and Tim Keller builds off of this, is he says, look at those five, economic justice, racial justice, forgiveness, pro-life, sexual counterculture. The first two are liberal values, the final two our conservative values, and the third one, the forgiveness piece, offends both communities. (laughs) So put very simply, Christians cannot fit into the two-party system. This means we are always going to be political exiles in some ways in America, so long as the system exists. We will be some kind of political exile. And secondly, nearly any candidate or party line we vote for will involve some kind of ethical compromise. We should be kind of... uh, unpredictable as Christians. We're going to need to use wisdom and discernment for thinking through politics. I love what uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.27. He says this one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's Philippians 1.27. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. I think when we think about Jesus is Lord having the political implications. And as we receive uh, this new era of um, politics in America and all the discussions that are going to go on, we have to realize our citizenship is primarily in the city of God. Therefore, though, Paul says, live your life on earth worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't say to escape from the world, doesn't say to bow out of politics, doesn't say to bow out of justice issues. It says, no, step in, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Finally, the final thought, does, does the creed um, change our politics? Number one, Jesus as Lord has political implica- implications. Number two, Christian ethics do not fit into a two-party system. And finally, the church is prepared for any political climate. Okay, so we just had four years of a particular political climate. 
it's appearing as if the next four years are going to shift and there's going to be this season of change over the next couple of months. I want to tell you that the church saying Jesus is Lord uh, is prepared for all kinds of political climates. When we say Jesus is Lord, it means there's no earthly king or Lord who can threaten the existence of Jesus's kingdom. Uh, the church, for all of its imperfections, the capital C church, what the creed calls the holy Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, but the universal Christian church, no ruler can snuff it out. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, he tells this to Peter after Peter confesses him as um, the Christ. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. In other words, if the kingdom of God, you notice the, the hell's on the defensive there. The gates of hell will not, that's the defense, right? So the, if, if the kingdom can charge through the gates of hell, could the kingdom easily, could not the kingdom easily charge through the gates of any politician, any political structure? Yes, we've seen it true in church history. Everything from uh, the early Roman occupancies to destructive forces of oppression throughout Europe to intense oppression in this day in the Middle East, in China, in parts of Africa, the church continues on. Because when we say Jesus is Lord, we affirm his power, might, mercy, justice, and grace that transcends the local political things that are happening. And it has been true time and time again that the church will continue. Will parts of the church in America perhaps, um, you know, fade away or change or be clarified? Yes. But will the capital C church survive any political climate? History and scripture would say emphatically, yes, it will. There will be one institution that will remain easily at the end of the world. Government might not end. Certain empires rise and fall. The kingdom of God stands fast. It's the whole message of the book of Daniel in your Old Testament. And so, friends, may we go through this political climate understanding how the creed helps us think politically, but also how it helps uh, transcend our mind off of the earthly realities to see eternal realities. Again, that's not to ignore the earthly things. It is simply saying when we set our minds as the citizens of heaven, as Paul says in Philippians 1.27, we will live more faithfully here on earth. And so may you go and be heavenly minded and eternally minded so that you may be of great earthly good. We love you guys. 